Welcome to the sixth podcast in our series, Someone's Daughter, by Rebel Justice for The View magazine. I'm Madalena Alberto, your host for this podcast. Narinja Arkan, the president of our Rebel Justice Societies, spoke with Farah Nazir, the CEO of Women's Aid. More and more intersectional feminists are shifting their focus to include women who have been victims of crime and subsequently let down by the agencies and organizations meant to help them. For too long, these women have been excluded from the feminist dialogue and battle for equal rights, so it's interesting to see how organizations like Women's Aid are taking a fresh and more inclusive approach. When we consider, according to Lord Farmer's report, that 57% of women have been victims of abuse prior to entering custody, there are important questions we need to ask to address the way that the agencies and organizations are failing these women. Our women. Okay, so firstly, can you present yourself and tell us what Women's Aid is and what do they do? A little bit about them and you. Sure, sure, absolutely. So Women's Aid is um, essentially the Women's Aid Federation of England and we are the representative organisation of domestic abuse services across England. We represent and have our members are, if you like, 170 um, service providers, refuges. Um, some are very big and have multiple refuges. Some are smaller and have one or two. Um, we represent specialist providers, so specialist sort of by and for providers so for black and minoritized women, disabled women, and so on. We also represent specialist women's services, but uh, generic women's services. So there are a range of different services. They're all quite different, do different things. So that gives us quite a broad view of the landscape of service provision for domestic abuse across the country. Mm-hmm. So we act as a sort of representative body. Um, we also um, provide direct services to survivors of domestic abuse and those experiencing domestic abuse through our live chat service. We have a survivors forum. We provide email support to survivors. So we do a range of, of, of things to support survivors um, who get in touch with us directly. We have a No Women Turned Away project, so we get a direct service for survivors where we help survivors who have have barriers when it comes to accessing refuge to, to access and find a place for, for them, a place of safety for them. Um, and then we do a range of other things, so a lot of policy and advocacy and campaigning work to ensure that the landscape for domestic abuse is improved, so funding and um, and policy and frameworks that governments and local authorities use. We also have a, a body of um, research and evaluation that happens within the organisation. And then we also do some procurement type work. So, for example, we run a rails refuge scheme, which means that those organisations and those charities, if you like, that are working on um, providing refuge to women can access free rail tickets for those women and their children to access refuge should they not have enough funds to, to find and to access a place of refuge we do a range of um, a range of things that's great thank you for, for that yeah that's very very interesting good work you're doing it might also be worth just being aware that we are um, 47 years old so we were founded mm. 47 years ago and it's quite an interesting story the way that we were we were founded essentially um women who recognized what they what was called a battered women at the time mm-hmm. um opened up their homes to, to those women and uh, started up the first refuges, which eventually became Women's Aid. So um, 
it's a very organic story, um, very much a, an organisation led by women and driven by women for mm-hmm. women. Yeah. And what is kind of your background? How do you come into this, um, your kind of contribution? I mean, obviously, you know, with Women's Aid, but about you as well. Sure, absolutely. So I joined Women's Aid uh, about six months ago as its chief executive officer. Prior to that, I've broadly worked on women's rights my, my entire career. I started off working on um, women's human rights in, in Romani communities in Central and Eastern Europe prior to those countries joining the EU. Um, and then mm-hmm. I worked for the Women's Institute um, for many years on a range of women's rights issues, everything from non-custodial sentences through to trafficking, um, chemicals that women were more exposed to, so pensions, women's pensions, all sorts of things to do with women's rights writ writ quite large. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'm international development where I've been working mainly on on women's rights in the um, global south, so working on things like FGM, um, access to school, rape as a weapon of war, so a whole range of, um, of issues to do with Borg, violence against women and girls um, in, in other contexts than the UK, um, particularly in humanitarian settings, settings for example, where, where child marriage is an issue, so lots of very similar issues mm. um, in the UK and lots of read across to domestic abuse, but um, as I said in, in, in March I joined Women's Aid. Okay, and were you so were you brought in, do you think, as a result of, you know, the, the scandals that the Women's Aid have been involved in in the last couple of years and that we've seen in the news, etc.? Do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really hoping I was brought in because of my skill set and my, <laughs> um, my passion for, for the women's rights and ending mm-hmm. Borg, primarily. Um, I am really um, concerned and I have a passion for a range of issues, including civic space, women's environmental rights, anti-racism, and a range of issues which I've championed throughout my career. Mm -hmm. So um, I obviously bring a knowledge and an understanding of uh, tackling them through those issues through organisations and ensuring organisational effectiveness against those issues. Yeah. Um, So you obviously mentioned all the work that Women's Aid does, especially on domestic violence and abuse. And The View does a lot of, you know, trying to campaign towards domestic abuse and victims who are in the criminal justice system. And many women in the criminal justice system actually are victims of trauma and domestic abuse like this. So how do you think we can apply a more holistic approach to these individuals? Or do you think we should approach them more holistically or, you know? Absolutely. I think we we absolutely need to approach women in these contexts more more holistically. Um, when you think about the, the fig, you know, 57% of women in, in prison reports, according to the Ministry of Justice, the report be having been domestic uh, victims of, of, of domestic abuse as adults um, or as children, and women in prison, the charity women in prison, report that 79% of women who use their services have experienced domestic violence and, and or sexual abuse. So I think that tells the story of why women are finding themselves in the criminal justice system in the first place and what needs to be done much earlier by way of intervention and what intervention can be made to ensure they don't find themselves in the the criminal justice system. So I think there is a more holistic, more service provision-driven response that needs to happen. 
Yeah, you, exactly. I, I completely agree. And you mentioned some intervention techniques and stuff. How can we make sure that these women, like you said, don't go to prison in the first place because most of them, it's usually very much linked to the their history of abuse and trauma that they go through. How can we create a more tangible change, um, I don't know, through legislation, through campaigning, to make sure that they don't... This, that is obviously linked to stopping and, you know... decreasing domestic abuse in the first place but what kind of intervention methods um, would you think should be applied to especially women in the criminal justice system sure Um, I think it's it's multifaceted I think it starts off with with identifying and supporting women when they are experiencing abuse in the first place so it's it's, I think a big part of it which is prevention Mm -hmm. Um, so, so you know, ensuring that women have access to specialist support services uh, and women's refuges and safe space so that they can find ways out of abusive relationships and abusive contexts and they have they have a place to recover and recuperate and rebuild their lives. So I think that's that's really that's a key part of this in terms of ensuring those specialist services, those women's refuges are are funded and are available. And when you think that something like 57% of um, referrals to women's refuges are rejected every year owing to lack of space, place, um, that that tells the story in and of itself. You know, what, what happens to those women? Um, where, where do they go? What do they end up turning to? And what, do they, what circumstances do they naturally find themselves in if they cannot access safe space? Like women's refuge is really critical and central to this. Mm. And there's a sort of here, if you like, so so ensuring that, that themselves are able to understand and recognise domestic abuse and coercive control, um, and, and are able to support women through, through that process and refer them to services much earlier than they currently do. Because right now you have, you have to be pretty high risk. The police think that you're about to uh, be murdered, essentially, mm. before you're um, which course, you know, it's, it's way too late at that point. So I think there's something about that early intervention when it comes to police, also health services, GP surgeries, mm. all kinds of all kinds of touch points that a woman might encounter. Um, schools need to be really aware of, of domestic abuse and, and flag it early to authorities who then need to be prepared and able to deal with it. Um, I think I think the underlying issue though is perhaps domestic abuse isn't taken seriously enough. Perhaps it's just tolerated in our society and then it leads to these kinds of consequences. Mm. So I think there's a whole range of interventions that need to be prioritised and then invested in. Mm -hmm. Um, And and as part of that, attitudes have to shift Mm. and look at at these women as as survivors of domestic abuse first and foremost rather than than criminals in the criminal justice system. Mm. Um, I mean, we talked a lot about prevention and um, intervention before, and I can also want to touch on after prison, especially since our focus is women in the criminal justice system and um, what happens after they leave, because how can we improve potentially services that they are given afterwards so that they don't fall back into this cycle of abuse? That's a very hard thing to break when they're left you know penniless and hopeless and no one would employ them etc etc how do we make sure that women after prison are independent enough that they do not go back to 
you know, their abusers, etc. I think I think it's yeah absolutely critical, absolutely critical, and I think it's it's the same set of services, it's the same types of services, services that are specialist and and able to support survivors who are in prison, those on community orders, those who've just um, left prison. That they need access, they need a pathway to specialist support that is multifaceted and holistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but that support absolutely has to cover off specialist refuge space, uh, economic support, health support, um, and, and so on, depending on their circumstances, the support with children, childcare, and whatever, what, what support with, with negotiating their family circumstances. So all of that needs to be taken into account in a holistic package put around them that is trauma-informed, needs strength-based, so that women, so we can, we can sort of make the best and, and make the most of those women's strengths um, and support them to reach their life and recognise the, the critical intervention of mental health support to enable that long-term healing and empowerment. Mm-hmm. So I think these things that, that need to be wrapped around them when she leaves prison, if, in general actually, but, but particularly if she's um, identified um, or, or disclosed domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think there's also the, the issue of funding of specialist refuges. Um, not all refuges have the the specialisms to support women um, who often have multiple needs or greater needs who have come from prison mm-hmm. and unless local authorities and national government are able to, to fund and prioritise funding those, those, those particular services, you'll just find this cycle perpetuating. And I think the idea that, that these women are just criminals rather than, than women who have most likely been coerced you know, there are all kinds of examples from, from women committing offences to support partners' drug use, like shoplifting or protecting their, their, their partner from, from taking responsibility for crimes, protect their partner from prosecution. You know, there are all kinds of examples, you know, or, or, or male partners of domestic abuse using the criminal justice system as an additional means of exerting power against them, women being trafficked. Or, or women having um, funds withheld from them, so their economic, their, their economic situation is so bad, whether or not they're working, that, that, that they feel forced into committing criminal activity to survive in some way, or their mental health needs not being met because they're in, they're in an abusive relationship. So I think that, that there are lots of different factors that drive women into the criminal justice system, and these factors can come back when they are released from prison or when they're, or even whilst they're in prison. So it is about wrapping that, that holistic service, set of services around them. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I agree again. I mean, I also kind of want to ask about how have women's aid specifically recognised that the, this prevalence of women in the criminal justice system who have endured domestic abuse. Do you offer anything else, specialist approaches, etc.? I mean, we talk a lot about these stuff, but is there anything special that you guys offer as women's aid to these women who are in prison or leave prison or, you know, are convicted, etc.? Sure, absolutely. Um, so we, we run a No Women Turned Away project, and that supports women who face barriers to accessing refuge due to criminal convictions and, and, other, and other reasons, but criminal conviction is part of this, this project. And of all the women that we've supported with those additional barriers to accessing refuge, 8% of them had an offending history. Mm-hmm. 
So we have we, we encourage um, our members and indeed all providers to refer women to our project um, when when they feel that they have those additional barriers. So we can work with the women and with the services to find them the right place mm. to support them. So that's a key part of our offering. We feel very strongly that no woman should ever be turned away from refuge, and this is exactly what this project is is set up to do. Just kind of breaking away, but also not from that. Um, I was just going to ask you kind of what your views on in sending these women to prison in the first place. Sure, sure. Um, I don't know if it helpful at all, but um, just in terms of some of, just go back to the other things that we're really keen to bag. Mm. Uh, um, we want these services to be used more. We want to support more women yeah. who have an offending history um, or who've just been released or, 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 or who are currently in, in prison to access these services. And many of our, our member services provide specialist support specifically for women involved in the criminal justice system. So for example, um, I don't know if you've heard of the Advances um, Minerva Wraparound Service, and that's, that's a particular service which provides um, support to women and girls, I think it's at age 15 or over, who have those multiple and complex needs, who have committed a crime mm-hmm. and at risk of reoffending. Um, and we, we have many members that do this and, and prioritise this. And indeed, when we ran the um, National Line, we had a particular element of that, specifically for women in prison, to make it a free phone number. So we, we, we are trying to um, ensure that we provide our services and tailor our services to women who've been caught up in the criminal justice. I mean, my next question was about, you know, how can women's aid be more inclusive and create change for these women in the criminal justice system? I think you kind of answered that. But, you know, to make it even more inclusive, would you have any specific aims or, you know, to make it even more approachable and make your services known to perhaps women in prison or out of prison because maybe they are not aware, etc. Kind of your plans on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think maybe just taking it from the top up, sort of from the sort of national yeah. framework, legislative framework, something that we will continue to campaign on is for a statutory defence where offending is driven by abuse. Mm-hmm. So that was rejected in the domestic abuse bill, unfortunately, and we did mm-hmm. campaign alongside the Centre for Women's Justice and the Prison Reform Trust on mm-hmm. amendment, and it was it was rejected, unfortunately. But it is something that we will continue to work on because we very much see that that needs. We very much believe that that needs to be absolutely taken into account. Where a defence is offending driven by domestic abuse, we'll carry on campaigning on that. The other, the other piece that we're very keen to get across again nationally is to protest and defend against the idea of 500 new prison places for women mm-hmm. because that, those funds are far better invested in services for women, mm-hmm. either for when they're out of prison to stop them entering the criminal justice system in the first place. That, that just sort of perpetuates the current system mm-hmm. rather than examining and changing the current system. Yeah. So I think we will absolutely be calling for changes to the system itself because that's that's sort of where it starts if you like when it comes to our own services we do share them and advertise them to all of the referral points that we feel the women would touch and perhaps there's more you know perhaps there is more that we could do but we currently do share it with all of the organizations that are involved but i'd really encourage if there are any organizations that feel that they're not in partnership with us on, on this particularly the no women turned away project absolutely approach us and we'll be really happy to work with anybody on sharing it 
services because the idea is to absolutely fundamentally get them to survivors. <laughs> yeah. And just to end on a more broad, maybe just general question for you is, you know, what are your visions for Women's Aid in the future? What would you like to achieve with the organisation? Sure, absolutely. I think currently domestic abuse is, everyone knows about it, but it's kind of broadly acceptable in our society. Mm -hmm. I think what we need to do is move from making it acceptable to making it utterly unacceptable. And what I'm really, so I guess my absolute vision is for Women's Aid to change the context and cultural awareness around domestic abuse and make what was broadly acceptable completely intolerable. Mm. So that's sort of my first ambition because I don't think anything else will really follow until we have a shared understanding. I don't mm. think enough will follow the survivors until society itself shifts mm. its approach to domestic abuse. And I'm absolutely passionate about ensuring that every single survivor gets the services that she needs and that those are fully funded and sustainable. So that's that's like the second piece. Mm. And then I guess the third piece for me is that every single touch point that a survivor might encounter is absolutely geared and able to identify abuse and respond to it. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you so much for that. That was very, very interesting. Thank you so much, Narinja Urkan and Farah Nazir, for this insightful and important discussion. If you've been affected by the issues discussed in this podcast, please reach out. You are not alone. You can contact any of the helpline numbers below. Thanks to our brilliant team, Holly McVie, producer and editor, and to you for listening. Stay tuned for next week's episode on the Irish justice system and how it treats women with Ivana Bacic, a senator in the Irish Senate, and Farah Damji, one of the founders of The View. Until next time.